0: welcome to the prepared x podcast your complete source for crisis emergency business continuity and security preparedness interviews news and much more now your host he creates chaos for a living rob burton i'm just going to kill my video if you want to do the same Hello, and welcome to episode 102 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by First Look. First Look is a customized simulation exercise service by PreparedX. We design it, you deliver it. For more details, go to preparedx.com dot com slash first look. Today I'm joined by Austin Cruz, uh, who is part of a crisis and disaster services program manager for an industry-leading global aerospace company. Welcome, Austin. Thank you very much, Rob. Glad to be here. Uh, before we get started here, can you let our listeners know a little bit more about your career so far, please?
1: Yeah, I'd be glad to. So I started off in uh, 2011. I joined my local volunteer fire department when I really began developing a passion for the emergency services. I was on and off with that department, uh, just volunteering in my spare time, learning more about the industry, really up until about 2019, uh, 2020. I wanted to be a fire chief, so I went to fire school. Uh, Texas A&M has one of the best fire schools in the country. And along that pathway, I ended up in, in grad school, where I studied disaster policy, environmental security, um, multinational, binational, mutual aid, contingency, Uh, planning agreements for emergency response. I've done a little bit of work in the consulting space, looking at uh, wildfire emergency operations plannings for large large districts. And as you mentioned, I currently work as a program manager for crisis and disaster services at a major aerospace company based out of the US, but with a global footprint. Uh, Much of the work that I'm currently doing is protected under a non-disclosure agreement, but I'm happy to talk at a a high level going throughout. I've got a few volunteer activities I also engage in, uh, Team Rubicon, Really great yes. organization. Yes. Great
0: organization. Yep. 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 yep.
1: Uh, shout out to all of the other Sawyer ones out there working in wildfire mitigation, and I also sit on the board of the Business Contin- Business Continuity Institute of the USA Chapter Board as their future leader.
0: Nice. Excellent. Well, you're a busy, busy man out there, Austin. And uh, it was pl- it was a pleasure to meet you just at ICMC um, last uh, last month. So thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. Big fan of the podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. so about the research here, um, as we're going to be touching on uh, wildfires, I looked at the uh, NFPA website and uh, some articles they had on there, and they mentioned in there that back in 2018, more than 58,000 fires burned, nearly 9 million acres across the U.S., and more than 25,000 structures destroyed, including 18,000 residents and over uh, 200 and almost 230 commercial structures. And California accounted for the highest number of structures lost uh, in one state due to a number of significant fires i know in recent uh, uh you know after the july 4th celebrations here i know we july 7th as we're recording this uh, i noticed you know a number of other significant fires have uh, have just started so uh, pretty sad to see that uh, as you were planning for this uh, conversation here today austin what, what was your um what was your viewpoint um on wildfires and wildfire fire preparation yeah definitely i'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, 2018
1: 2018 was really one of the uh the game changer years for looking at wildfires in the U.S. And so going back, wildfires aren't new to the U.S., especially along the West Coast, where we've got estimates of going back tens of thousands of years where Native Americans and national processes have lived amongst, fire, amongst wildfire in a symbiotic uh, relationship. There's some estimates ranging as high as in California alone, four to 10 million acres per year burned. So looking back at history, uh, there was a change in the early 1900s and the way that we approached fire fire or approached wildfires how we viewed them uh, and other issues and so since that time we've gone with a, a process of aggressive fire suppression and we've largely benefited from from that in a lot of ways but there are three main issues in the way that i see it that are changing our past processes and making the impacts from wildfires much worse and at the top of that list is gonna be climate change. So as the world continues to warm, uh, we experience more drought, like we've experienced in many places across the U.S. today. We see temperature fluctuations, changing in in wind speeds like the Diablo or Santana winds, uh, increase in in invasive species, bark beetles, altered patterns of weather, soil moisture, vegetation. All of these things are on track to make wildfires uh, more dangerous. The, The second reason, and in no particular order, are some of our forest management practices. Over the years, as I mentioned, uh, overly aggressive firefighting tactics, uh, overgrowth of some forest, um, large scale accumulation of of biomass, logging of trees, clear cutting. Some of these practices that we have uh, done for many decades are beginning to come back on us in an unsustainable fashion. And and then the third reason that's really changing the the landscape is gonna be people's intrusion into the wildland-urban interface. It's a common term used amongst the wildfire community to kind of just capture the space where forests and wildland engage and intersect with uh, human development. We currently have millions of properties at the highest level of risk in the wildland-urban interface, uh, COVID-19, has certainly driven up the speed at which people are moving out of big cities and into areas that have previously just been forest and wildland. I think FEMA has an estimate that around a million homes are expected to be built in the wildland urban interface by about 2050.
0: Wow, good, good information. Yeah, that, those those three areas make make total sense. Um, as you describe them there. I have a friend right now who's running the Yukon 1000, uh, which is a, a race in the Yukon territory down the river. Um, it actually ends up um, um, uh, on the US side of the border. Um, uh, from from Yukon territory, and uh, he said he's been driving through. I get these occasional posts when he hits a small town. And he gets an up, I get an update um, via social media. But uh, the wildfires up there have been crazy, been you know crazy this year, and they've actually had to you know put a pause uh, on some of the the, the travel, uh, road travel. This is between checkpoints, and uh, uh, but apparently the the on the river they've not been impacted. Uh, fortunately, uh, uh, those that are paddling down the river in this race, so uh, but uh, seems to be impacted. Again, uh, you know, north of the border as well. Yeah, I mean,
1: really not just um, a lot of my focus is in the US, but this really is a a global issue. I mean, in recent years, we've seen major, major wildfires in Australia, Greece, Turkey, even places as far north as the the Siberian Arctic. And, And California gets a lot of the attention now and rightfully so because they have some of the most significant fires, but a lot of states are breaking their records for the largest wildfires, the most deadly, the most destructive. Um, Pretty much in most places, in most states, we're seeing records being broken on a a regular basis. Cal Fire posts a lot of really good data. And so just looking back at the last half decade, um, in California, we have 12 out of 20 of the largest fires in recorded history in California that have burned. 13 out of 20 of the most destructive have burned in the last half decade, and seven out of 20 of the top most deadly wildfires have burned. So looking back at 2018 with the uh, campfire in Paradise, California, where sadly over, I think, 80 people lost their lives. It's the most expensive disaster that year. So the issue really is continuing to grow just at an exponential rate. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, let's move on to talk talk some more for for our business uh, listeners that uh, are listening on the podcast here. So, for those businesses and other organizations that are in areas that are susceptible to wildfires, uh, what can they ha- uh, do to specifically help? You know, their assets, and uh, you know, m- most of these you know, businesses may have you know buildings or, or other infrastructure in those areas.
1: Yeah, no. To start off, I'd say the most important thing is definitely knowing your risk. There's a lot of great resources out there that are publicly available Um, fema's got a national risk index for natural hazards that looks at 18 different hazards including wildfires you can look at it on a county by county level to kind of see what your level of risk is we got first street foundations which has a very granular uh, wildfire map that you can take a look at these kind of places you can type in your address and see exactly what your level of risk is um additionally there's a lot of local resources following red flag warnings that may be posted by your local fire department uh, so just being aware of in any given area what what is your risk and what what are your expectations for how you should prepare for that another go ahead
0: yeah yeah no i'm, I'm sure as well if if you're if you're well, you know, we talk about stakeholders um, as it relates to crisis management, crisis preparedness, and certainly on that list of stakeholders, you know, should should be your first responders and not just for wildfires, of course, but um, that certainly should be on the list. And if you are, you know, a, a business in one of those areas that, um, you know, houses, you know, any, any amount of employees, really, but if you're one of the bigger employers uh, in one of those areas, then certainly um, the fire department would probably more would be more than happy to pay a visit to your site.
1: Yeah, spot on, inviting uh, fire departments to come walk around, take a look, become familiar with the uh, landscape of whatever site or business you're operating on can make a big difference in in an emergency. And in addition to that, I think also taking efforts to harden your structures, Uh, these are activities that make them more resistant to burning, everything from creating a defensible space, uh, clearing combustible areas around your property, making sure that there's no items that can easily burn in close proximity. Um, cleaning your property cleaning out the gutters installing vent covers to prevent embers which can travel up up to miles ahead of a fire and cause a lot of structure loss trimming away dead brush adding fire resistant plants and even looking at things like building codes what are the codes in your area and just because they're meeting codes doesn't necessarily mean that it's up to the best industry practices that that we've learned over time. And one other location for great partnerships in addition to first response agencies are insurance agencies, Mm. both you and the insurance agency have a mutual investment in preserving property and making sure that your assets are safeguarded. So looking to those locations for resources uh, to kind of make sure that your level of preparedness is in line with the, the threat that you face and balancing out the risk tolerances in those areas.
0: Okay, so we've got some resources for the business to look at, you know, they, they've probably got someone, you know, overall responsible for that from a safety standpoint. Uh, now, you know, as it relates to, you know, employees on the site or in the surrounding areas, it relates to work, what, what can the employees do to help support that?
1: I mean, to start off, I hear you talk about this a lot on the podcast, but it always begins with having a plan, both employees, right. yeah. businesses at, at, at whatever level you're looking at, even at the individual level, having a plan to address uh, wildfires in particular are really any, any hazard and, and included in a plan should be items like how are you monitoring issues? How are you receiving intelligence from the abundance of information sources that are out there? Evacuations should definitely be a big part of that plan and evacuations for wildfires. Are, are pretty complex. You have to know evacuations from your building. What are the local evacuation routes? When a hurricane comes in, being, uh, being from Houston, that's kind of my go-to in terms of disaster yeah. familiarity. Um, but when a hurricane comes in, we track it over time. We know which direction it's heading, seven days out, three days out, two days yeah. out. And we can kind of plan Around them, we all generally know that we're moving away from the coast, away from the hurricane. With wildfires, they can kind of spring up at any moment, and with the wildfire comes smoke, which can which can impact visibility and block block some lines of sight to the areas that you're heading. So, having multiple evacuation routes uh, for a given area is super important in the wildfire aspect. Communications plans and considerations for public health also should be a major part of any uh, disaster related plan.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As you start to think about, uh, okay, we, we we pretty much you know in our day to day lives have you know the evacuation plan as it relates to a regular fire in a building. But then as you think about wildfires, well, this may expand, you know, may expand miles or even tens of miles or even further, you know, based on right. the size of the fire. So uh, you know, thinking about your different routes and your different options to get out of the out of the area is uh, super important. You're one hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose employees as well, as it relates to having a plan at home should should be doing something right. So I I know we, you know, we see FEMA with a lot of resources, you know, there's a lot of other resources out there. But, uh, you know, how important is that plan? And what, you know, what should they be thinking about as a family and, uh, and the home? Yeah, no, like we
1: mentioned, always having a plan is, is really key. And so while businesses should have a plan, families and individuals at home should also have a plan. And while some elements of those plans are similar, there's some key differences when looking at plans for their home. So if you're in a wildfire prone area, we'll go back to again, knowing your risk, What what is your risk tolerance? What level of exposure do you have to potential wildfires? Um, and even if you're not sitting on the edge of a forest, like I mentioned, these embers can travel miles and miles ahead of a fire. So being aware of that is, is important. So for an at home wildfire emergency plan, a big part of this is having what they call a go bag. So it's just a bag of important documents, various emergency supplies, changes of clothes, flashlights, radios, and maybe a few days food and waters. This is just core essential things that if you had to leave at a moment's notice, uh, you could grab this bag and head out with all of your important items and and, and yeah. family members so uploading those pictures before the wildfire so there's nothing you have to wait or pause for because lives are obviously much more important than any property so thinking ahead like what can we upload or protect uh, what do we need to plan for to make sure that our pets are safe so if we have to leave in a moment's notice we can grab that go back and just head out the door and on top of that i think other important components are knowing your neighbors are there any elderly individuals or individuals with disabilities who might live near you? Being familiar with that can definitely help save lives. Um, so, we're not, so we're not just looking out for ourselves and our families, but really having a whole of, of community approach. And, and also with that plan, we should consider similar to businesses, how can we fire harden our structures, reduce our, reduce our risk and have the right level of insurance in accordance with your risk tolerance? yeah yeah
0: yeah this you know this type of um risk is is unlike many that we face in in natural disasters, um, you know, we think about, you know, tornadoes coming through the plains and, you know, we think about those uh, locations where those safe rooms, whether it be in the basement or outside in in one of those bunkers that we traditionally have seen uh, and that, uh, you know, folks have in the the Midwest and those other areas where, you know, um, you know, tornadoes come through. Um, And so, and even with hurricanes, there's a certain amount of, you know, leeway that we have, unless it's obviously a a really big one. But uh, you, you think about this, and there's, there's nowhere to hide really.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a totally different risk landscape. And looking at some of the, 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 worst case studies on this, I always turn back to paradise, California, that wildfire was moving sometimes at a speed of 80 football fields per minute. So there was wow. such little time to, yeah. to evacuate and make decisions. And it really decimated the town. I think 90 to 95% of all structures located in paradise um we're, we're burned almost entirely to the ground in a lot of situations and the damage that that did to the individual lives the community paradise california i really hope that one day it can it can fully recover but it may not ever go back to the level uh, of where it used to be and so that's sad so having a, a plan i think is step one and making sure you're ready for these type of events
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, some resources there. I think you touched on FEMA and a couple of others uh, in the conversation here. Um, are there others that uh, you know can help out businesses and their employees in terms of preparation? Yeah, I mean, it, it,
1: I always encourage people to start from where you are, uh, and so again, understanding your risk, knowing what uh, resources are out there, it, it's huge. So. Start off locally, look at what your local authorities are doing. Does your local fire department or emergency management uh, have available resources? Above that, we also have uh, state agencies, which are doing a lot. You've got California uh, with Cal Fire or or Florida Department of Emergency Management, Texas Department of Emergency Management. All of these locations are putting out uh, free and publicly available resources from, from checklists to databases to dashboards visualizations all these things that you can really dive into to help better understand what you should be doing uh, before during and after a wildfire another really great organization that i'm a big fan of is is called firewise it's Mm -hmm. a collaborative community-based framework because in some areas you're really only as strong as as your weakest link if you have houses that are right next door to each other and your neighbor's house catches on fire then it's going to really have an impact on the whole neighborhood. So we've got organizations like these that are designed to not just help individuals reduce their risk and improve life safety, but to look at it from a whole of, of community approach. Like what can we do together to reduce all of our risk? Because if one house catches on fire, one building, one business, one structure, it has the chance uh, to to spill over. And, and first responders are really, really incredible. The sacrifices that they make uh, in combating some of these Large wildfires are commendable, but the scale at which some of these occur hundreds of thousands, a million acres sometimes yeah. uh, is really, really overwhelming. So, all that we can do, not just as individuals, but as a community, I think has a big impact. And, and Ready, Set, Go, if you're really just looking to start off, it's a really good organization as well. It's big on personal preparedness, but there's, there's an abundance of, of resources out there. And, and you got to start from somewhere. So, start small, have a plan better understand your risk. That's kind of what I uh, encourage.
0: Yeah when I was living in California I remember that there was a similar kind of group that came around and, and they they were representing um, you know uh, first responders you know representing the community from a, a fire preparedness standpoint I remember they used to put reminders in the door and that's all it was a simple in in your mailbox a simple reminder to clear the brush and uh, and there was also a reminder that if you didn't clear the brush in in your yard um, that um, there would be a fine coming through so most people actually did it but I uh, remember we had a kind of steep bank in the back of our are that uh, need to be cleared out uh, every year at the start of the season. And, um, you know, it, it was a bit, bit of a bit of a trek to do it because it was up on this steep bank. But uh, um, if, if any of that have caught fire, then like you say, the houses were so tight together that, um, you know, that's it. You, you might be the weak link that starts the, the, the ball rolling, so to speak.
1: Right. And, and we never want to be <laughs> no. the, that person. They had different places have different uh, different requirements and different agencies and organizations are all out there uh, doing different work, and so being ahead of the curve and making sure that we're all working together to reduce our risk is is huge. And, and with planning, uh, as a community and as a society, we really have to, to get better. One thing that a lot of people don't know about the Paradise California Fire is that they had one of the most comprehensive evacuation plans in the state. They had a phase rollout, they had all these provisions. They handed out this evacuation plan I think to all the citizens on on an annual basis, just to make sure that we like, here's phase one, here are the different zones, here's how we plan to implement it. Um, And even with that, it still turned out to be the most expensive disaster in the world for for that year. And so to me, that was just a humongous game changer looking at what we all need to do. We all need to take it to another level. We all need to, to get ready. And this wildfire season has already kicked off. You know, pretty strong. We've seen just absolutely tragic wildfires across uh, across New Mexico. Alaska has a lot of very large fires burning right now, and and the best estimates from a lot of the major agencies involved in this are predicting a more than act more than active or more active year than average. My apologies, more active year than average, uh, and we're really looking at the more intense part of the season still ahead of us.
0: Yep. 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 Okay, great. Okay, shifting gears uh, slightly then. Um, I, I normally pose this question at some point during uh, the interviews here, but uh, uh, as it relates to your career so far, what's been the most challenging role um, so far and why?
1: Yeah, this one's a little bit of a, a freebie with the uh, with the topic, but definitely my, my experience being boots on the ground as a firefighter. I was volunteering in the greater Houston area. And I think I did it for eight years on and off. But my worst day, my worst day at work anywhere I've worked is never compared to my worst day as a firefighter. And that's really where I developed a passion for disasters because I saw firsthand some of the overwhelming impacts that these can have on individuals, on, on communities, on societies. And so I've been on the ground of a few very, very small wildfires, but just being close up and looking up and seeing the overwhelming power and the force and the speed at which these things can move was really, really terrifying. And so that's kind of what inspired uh, uh, preparedness and working through some of those challenges taught me a lot of lessons about life and resiliencies. And I wouldn't trade them for the world.
0: Yeah. Incredible. um, Incredible. um opportunity to, um, you know, to get some experience there. So, you know, thank, thanks for sharing. Um, I, I would like to uh, start to wrap up here, uh, Austin. And, uh, you know, we, we always end, uh, and I love to, to hear different opinions on uh, simulation exercises. And, uh, of course, you know, as it relates to wildfires, uh, I hope those uh, businesses that are out there are, are in prep mode or uh, certainly should have prepped already and, and done maybe some tabletops or whatever exercises they've chosen to, to do to prepare their business. But um, can you let our audience know from your standpoint uh, uh, the importance of running simulation exercises and what your experience is uh, with those?
1: Yeah, simulation exercises are an invaluable tool in preparedness. There's so many lessons that come out of uh, a tabletop exercise or a drill or really any type of simulation. So one of the biggest takeaways that I've seen from the many exercises I've been a part of is that they really help build cohesion amongst teams working through some of these challenging situations can have spillover effects into other areas. I see a lot of people working better after going through an exercise. They're thinking differently. They're thinking in an innovative fashion. And tying it back to where we met at the International Crisis Management Conference, uh, where there really was an all-star cast of speakers. One of my favorites was uh, Bob Keller. Yes. And yes, he, he spoke about a lot of preparedness items, but a big one was pushing plans to the point of failure. You should never leave a tabletop exercise saying like, oh, wow, everything was perfect. We have a perfect team, we're ready to go. Um, Cause that's not the way that preparedness works. The risk landscape is constantly evolving. And as practitioners and really anyone who has safety at stake We should be doing more to kind of push those plans to learn more, to continue to grow. Because as a lot of these disasters, especially wildfires are on track to get worse in the future, we can't allow our our minds and our plans to stagnate. We have to push a little bit harder, go do a little bit more and really just help push preparedness. Because again, what what Paradise showed us or what many of the situations have taught us is that we have to be doing more and no individual agency or person or business can solve all of these, but working collaboratively and together is really going to be where the solutions for a lot of these issues lie.
0: Great. Yeah. Great way. Well, fantastic way to end and a great description there of the importance of, uh, of ring exercises. So, uh, okay. Well, thank you for your time, uh, today. Awesome. We really appreciate it. Do you have any final comments for our listeners and, um, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Feel free to, uh, reach out and if I could do, a A quick plug for an idea. So I spoke a lot about, I spoke a lot about knowing your risk. I think knowing your risk is really key for the first step in the resiliency life cycle. Knowing what you should be doing to prepare is huge. And so there's so many different databases and resources and dashboards that are out there. A couple of friends of mine got together on LinkedIn. We want to try to make this information more user friendly we want to democratize the data that's available and kind of bring it all together so we created the emergency management data community we're still in our infancy but we're really hoping to grow this over the long run we want to create a single location that pulls together all the databases all the dashboards all the resources to where an individual business or a person who wants to know their risk can come in and use drop down features that say okay well i want to look at my wildfire risk i want to look at my all hazards risk what is the risk of sea level rise in this area to maybe determine um, where i should move and all of these different factors and so we want to make this a one-stop shop for knowing your risk so if this is something that you're interested in you want to be a part of building this project we want to make something that's publicly available free and accessible to to everyone because knowing your risk is such a vital part of resiliency and preparedness so yeah reach out let me know happy to have any uh further conversations about wildfires or really uh, anything disaster, and let me know if you're interested in learning more about what we're trying to do with the emergency management data community.
0: Well, uh, good luck with the community. I think that's a great concept, and uh, if you want to uh, send some information along, we'll add it into the show notes, and uh, I'll also add in your link there to your uh, LinkedIn profile, so uh, folks can get a hold of you directly. Yeah,
1: we'll do. It's been a pleasure, Rob. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks again for your time today, and uh, we hope to uh, be in touch, and we'll see you again soon, Austin. Thank you very much.
1: Likewise. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks.
0: Uh, well, that wraps up episode uh, 102 of our podcast series. Uh, we encourage you to rate us on iTunes or any of the other what seem to be a thousand outlets now for listening to podcasts. So leave a comment wherever you're listening to this. If you're listening by our website, then uh, feel free to comment there also. Until next time, have a safe and productive day. Take care.